Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, December 9th. Before we dive into today's show, I do want to let you know, if you are one of those I was going to say weirdos, but I guess I'm the weirdo for listening to podcasts all the time. If you're someone who only listens to podcasts during your work week, Monday to Friday, you missed out on some great stuff here on Locked on Canucks over the weekend. I was joined on Saturday by Thomas Drance to talk about his oral history of the Alex Burroughs Dragon Slayer goal. And yesterday, I went deep with Jackson McDonald on the entire controversy surrounding the word mediocre. We talked quite a bit about Tanner Pearson and Josh Levo as well. Both of those chats, a whole heck of a lot of fun, a whole heck of a lot of laughs to be had in those conversations as well. If you missed them over the weekend, I strongly recommend that you do go back and check them out because they have not dated. Uh, They are not aged whatsoever. That is evergreen stuff right there. Also, uh, late on Friday, I put out an interview on the Locked On NHL podcast where I talked to Dan Carcillo, former NHL player and two-time Stanley Cup champion, about hockey's culture of abuse and violence, both at the minor level and at the pros as well, in terms of what coaches uh, are able to get away with and why players are afraid to speak out. That was a fantastic conversation with Daniel Carcillo, and you can find that as well on the Locked On NHL podcast. Just got to get my stuff in right there, let you know that there's uh, some some quality conversations that you may have missed over the weekend. And you have a quality conversation ahead of you right now as well because uh, his article dropped almost immediately after we stopped talking, uh, after we got off the phone. It's the second article in the Botchford Project this year. You can find it right now on Canucks.com. It's Stephen Hocko, and he joined me to talk about uh, his article about Adam Gaudet's goal celebrations, as well as uh, his history with the game and his decision to uh, become a journalist. And uh, we talked a little bit about the Vancouver Giants as well. So without further ado, here it is, my conversation with Stephen Hocko of the Dub Network and the Botchford Project. Well, I guess this is part of the Botchford Project media tour at this point because I had David Quadrelli on the program a couple weeks back when he uh, dropped his article. And I'm joined now uh, for another Botchford Project conversation with the second fellow in the Botchford Project Fellowship. It's Stephen Hocko of the Dub Network. Uh, Stephen, uh, welcome to Locked on Canucks. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Excited for it. Uh, now, as we are recording this, we are hopeful, anyways, that your uh, article will have come out yesterday on Sunday. That's what you've been told, but there have been a, a couple bumps along the way. Uh, because it hasn't dropped yet as we record, though, uh, I haven't had a chance to read it. I have a kind of idea of what you wrote about, uh, but what did you decide to, to write about? What was your topic for this piece? Um, I kind of went with with uh, Adam Gaudet and his, his uh, boisterous skull celebrations and touched a bit on his improvement coming in, or from this season going from last year. So it's based around Adam Gaudet mostly and his, his cool celebrations. And what drew you to that topic, just like how fired up he gets when he scores? Yeah, I just, I've seen like a lot of the fans have kind of, have kind of uh, rallied around it a little bit. And I, when I played hockey, I like to score goals too. So it's, it's good to see somebody showing their true emotions after a goal. 
Is, is that kind of, um, you know, your background as a player? Because you are a guy who played uh, in Junior B, both in the, uh, I mean, every single Junior B league, basically, yeah. <laughs> Found my in way BC, everywhere. save for the NWJHL, which is uh, my alma mater as a broadcaster anyways, uh, playing in the VI, the KI, and the PIJHL. Uh, is that sort of, you know, I, you know, it seems like, that uh, th- that's more of like um, you know f- a fan topic, you know, like that's something that that is uh, blog fodder. And I don't mean to disparage your topic at all. It's just curious to me that as a player, you would be so drawn to a guy who uh, wears his heart on his sleeve in the way uh, that Adam Goddett does when he scores goals. Yeah, when I played, I, lo- I love to score goals. That's kind of what I that's kind of what I was good at. I guess I wasn't a very good defensive player so <laughs> i kind of i kind of relied on my goal scoring to keep me through but yeah so i it was kind of i could kind of relate to to how um how excited he gets because you don't you don't see that a whole lot in the nhl anymore guys don't really show their so show all their passion and their goal celebrations besides guys like maybe ovechkin but yeah i kind of i kind of like to see it especially from such a young guy that's still trying to trying to cut his teeth in the NHL. Yeah, it seems like guys get conditioned to, I mean, that's the old cliche that we've heard a million times before, act like you've been there before, right? But, exactly. But, I mean, on some level, you're in the NHL, you're scoring goals in the NHL. Like, that should never get old for you. That should be something that is exciting every single time. And you're right, it is kind of nice that Adam Gaudet uh, flexes those emotions and, and puts them on full display every single time. Yeah, exactly. It's the best league in the world, and you're scoring goals in it. What else? What's there not to be happy about, really? That's what you grow up uh, dreaming about and thinking about. Uh, so that was this kind of because I know you had to put a pitch together before uh, you were chosen to do this. Was it just kind of Adam Gaudet and his progression as a whole, or was the goal celebration thing always a part of it? Because when were the submissions due for this? Was it b- like before the season started, or or soon afterwards? Um, the deadline was October thirty first. So I got mine in about middle of October, a little maybe a little bit later than that. So it was still kind of relevant. He was he was just about called up then. Um, I had another idea in mind, but it kind of it kind of lost relevancy. It was it was going to be something about the lotto line, but as uh, as my day was coming up to the Bosher project, they kind of split up the lines a bit. So I felt maybe the relevancy wasn't there. But then of course. They're back together now, so that's just how it goes. Um, so I guess, I guess, yeah, he would have been called up at that point, and he had a pretty fast impression after being brought back up from the A. So uh, I, I scores one goal, and you, you see him do the the Superman. Basically, that was the first goal of the season, I believe. The, the Superman thing where he like pretended yeah, to rip I think the jersey open. Oh yeah, Ottawa. Yeah. But, so and you, and you could kind of see it last year when he when he had a couple of goals. So it's just it kind of carried over into this season. I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind that. It's something that stood out to me on the Canucks roster. Well, before we get into the game itself that you covered, because you were there for uh, Alex Burroughs' night uh, this past Tuesday, well, can you tell me about the uh, just the process of receiving that letter and kind of the emotions of, of reading that you had been selected for the Botchford Project? Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I, the email saying I got accepted to it went, went straight to my junk mail for whatever reason. So, luckily... <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I checked my junk mail almost every day, so I was only a few hours delayed in seeing it. But yeah, I was just, I was, I was a lot of disbelief. I was kind of shaking for like the first hour of it because I never really would have thought that I was going to be um, the recipient of it. Because they, they kind of said that it's, 
it's uh, prioritized for journalism students, which I'm not quite yet. I'm going to school next month for this. So, um, yeah, it was just a lot of a lot of surreal surrealness. Um, yeah, it, was, it all started uh, on Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning. We took in the game day skate. I met with uh, Beecher and Drancer. They kind of showed me the ropes a little bit, what to do, what not to do, kind of the unwritten rules. Um, yeah, I took in the game day skate, uh, saw Travis Green's morning press conference, um, stuck in a little question to him about Gaudette to kind of help my piece a little bit. Um, then, yeah, during the day, I had lots of free time, so I worked on my article during that. Uh, close by because i live in surrey so there's i didn't think there's any point in me driving back again uh so yeah then 5:45 came around um had some dinner with drance took in the game sat next to j pat sicaris all those guys learned a lot and it was just good to get my name out there really um when i had talked to david quadrelli a couple weeks ago he talked about uh you know getting a message from from cat botchford about why he was selected and, and how much that meant to him uh i don't know if you just glossed over that part as you were telling no, your story I didn't there get that. really i think that might have just, just been for the first the first recipient i didn't i didn't get that it was just just the invitation maybe that got stuck further perhaps in your junk folder and no, I double checked because I wanted to see if I got one. I didn't. Yeah, I just. I, I don't know what happened, but I guess it was just because I can understand the first one is is probably the most important one, right? Cause it's kicked off the whole project, so I'm not too worried about it. Well, I'm just. I was just grateful for the whole experience, honestly. Well, I, I'm not really a you know religious person per se, but it does seem like there is something special about these games that have, you know, just kind of been randomly chosen, I think, across yeah. <laughs> the home schedule this year. But, you know, David goes into his game looking to write about an impact uh, from Quinn Hughes, and he gets a fantastic game from Hughes. You know, an incredible power play assist to, to make that game a little closer. The Canucks can't quite beat the Avs in the end, but it's a very exciting game, a wonderful game to be there for. You go in looking to write about Adam Gaudet. On a night where Gaudette is named first star of the game, yeah. and that third line was like the the big story. It, it just seems like there is a, a kind of magic in the air in the building when you guys are there. That exactly what you want out of the game to try and uh, build your stories around winds up coming true. And you know, part of me has to believe that that you know there's a little bit of uh, of Jason still with us that is uh, making those things happen for you guys. Yeah, it's kind of funny how all that works. Hey? Uh, um, I'm not the biggest religious guy either, but you kind of think there's something going on there because that's two funny coincidences. If it's not, so but yeah, it started out pretty strong with God had a nice pass to resell there on their first shift of the game and just kind of took off from there. But yeah, it's very lucky with with, uh, with the Burrow ceremony and a pretty good game itself. Uh, you talked to uh, Adam in the day, I would imagine. What was that like for you? Yeah, he's... Um, He's a, he's a quiet guy, but he actually he gave me some pretty good answers on the questions I asked. Um, I talked to Stetcher as well. Uh, yeah, they're you can you can tell they're, they're kind of they're they're kind of getting more uh, accustomed to the interviews more so more so Godet because he's he's a lot newer to it still. But um, yeah, he he gave me good answers. It was fun to talk to. Good guy. Uh, well, I, I don't know if you're like me, but I find myself getting a little bit nervous here that this team might actually get worse as it gets fully healthy because somebody's going to get squeezed out of this lineup. And, you know, Adam Gaudet was one of those guys earlier in the year who was being sent down simply because he could be sent down. Uh, I don't think they're going to remove him from the team necessarily, but that third line seems to be really working very well at the moment with Roussel, Gaudet, and Vertanen. They had another strong game on Saturday 
against the Sabres. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm getting nervous here that it, when Brandon Sutter comes back, what we've seen sort of start to gel in the bottom six over the last little while might have a big wrench thrown into it when this team is, you know, quote unquote, what they wanted it to be coming out of training camp. Uh, are you perhaps a little bit nervous about that as well? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I I believe Godet's waiver eligible now after the last game. I think he has. I think I saw somewhere it's an eighty game rule or something like that. Yeah, um, he is. He is now. Uh, yeah, so that makes it a little bit more interesting <laughs> to see. They can't just they can't just send him down whenever they please. Now they have to be a little bit more cautious about it because he's kind of been playing to the point where a team could easily take a waiver or take a flyer on him. So and why yeah, wouldn't you? Because he's on a cheap contract. He's producing exactly. at a pretty good clip. Like. There's no reason to send him off this team in the first place. There really was no reason to send him down to start the year. Like, he made this team. He should have been on the roster to begin with. They just couldn't, you know, find a spot for him somehow on a lineup that was really not producing very much. Yeah, I think it was just an easy an easy transaction to make because you, you don't have to worry about him getting picked up. But now it's, now it's going to be a little bit more interesting. They're going to they're gonna not have as much of a reason to send him down anymore. So... Uh, yeah, I'm pretty excited to see how he progresses throughout the season because he's been more than more than enough value for a fifth-round pick. I'm not sure uh, if you covered this side of his game as well in your article, but one of the concerns about him you know, as someone who played most of the season last year was that, like, yes, there is a scoring upside to this player, but there are a ton of question marks about him in his own zone. And I don't feel like that's necessarily been the case this year. I know that, you know, he's still not comfortable on face-offs. They don't necessarily feel, uh, you know, comfortable putting him out there in key face-off situations, which is why Bo Horvat was just playing insane minutes on that road trip when uh, Beagle and Sutter were were out at the same time but it does feel like and I think Harm has written about this as well uh, that there is being a, a good deal of progress on the other side of the puck for him this year did you guys talk about that at all yeah I touched on that a little bit actually in the article um, Travis Green talked about it actually when I when I asked him the question about Goddard he said he's been he's been very happy with his progress on both sides of the puck and so, yeah, so it's noticeably better. He's he's kind of gelling into a an everyday third line NHLer right now. So, good to watch. Uh, I heard you say that uh, Travis Green was a little bit caught off guard by your question as well. Yeah, he is funny. When I first asked him, he kind of just like stuttered a bit, like wondering who I was because I've obviously never seen him before. But then after that, he gave me a really good thought out answer. So I was pretty appreciative of that because I I was kind of worried about it because I know he can be kind of kind of tough on some of the media guys. He can be a little bit sarcastic, but I, I escaped that, luckily. Uh, that wasn't one of the unwritten rules that you were introduced to by the boys uh, of how things go around there, that he, as a new guy, you're not supposed to ask any questions. <laughs> Dresser, Dresser kind of kind of wanted me to do it. He, he kind of pushed me to do it a little bit, so I liked it. He, I think um, I think everybody got a good, a good laugh about it and showed that I'm not afraid to kind of dive in there right away. Wonderful. Uh, well, let's talk about Jason Botchford a little bit as well, because um, I mean, obviously he means so much to so many people. It's impossible to have followed this team over the last decade and not been affected by his writing in some way. Uh, what's your relationship uh, with Jason, if there, if there was any, um, obviously um, before I, his passing? I didn't have any interactions with him, so to speak. Um, I, I, said it, I said it on Faber's uh, show. I, I kind of had a bit of a hiatus from, from the NHL for a few years. I didn't really follow it all that much because I kind of lost the whole love of hockey kind of thing. So I've been doing the WHL. It's, it's 
kind of brought the, the love of the game back. But I did follow Jason's armies. I followed his all of his radio hits and everything. And my my favorite part about him was just his passion about everything he did. Like he would be literally screaming into a phone during a radio interview, and it's just you're just there laughing because everything he's saying is, is most likely correct. But he just just the way he's saying it is just awesome. Yeah, I, well, let's let's get into that a little bit because you said that you kind of lost your passion for uh, the game, right? Um, as as a junior player who I think bounced around, as I mentioned, three different junior B leagues, and you kind of went far from home a little bit as well. You're a Surrey guy, if I'm not mistaken, and yep. and and had to travel, uh, you know, to uh, uh, I don't know, what, which teams did you play for again? You were in uh, Campbell River for a little Campbell bit. Campbell River and Sycamus. Sycamus, yeah. How was yeah. that being, uh, you know, having to leave home and go play hockey? Because my junior B experiences working up north, you know, all the teams kind of pulled players from their catchment areas. Dawson Creek was full of guys from Dawson Creek, so on, etc. All the Grand Prairie guys played for Grand Prairie. Uh, did, what was it like for you to uh, have to leave home at, I'm sure, a, a, a young age where things were a little bit difficult for you as maybe a, a 16, 17-year-old, right? Yeah, I was 17 when I first moved, but I loved it, honestly. I, it was a great life experience. It was, it was um, it's something that I kind of think, I think about it all the time as a couple of the best years of my life because I got to meet a lot of people, a lot of different kinds of people and see a lot of different places. And yeah, it was just, it was just nice. I did a lot of growing up there. Um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world, to be honest. I, I would encourage if anybody has the opportunity to play hockey away from home to, to definitely to pounce on that because it's not something a lot of people get to do. And it's definitely worth, uh, it's, it's, it's worth the, the stress for the first couple of weeks. You're kind of homesick for a bit, but it doesn't take long to get settled in when all the when you have all your your buddies and whatnot on the team. So what went wrong for you then? Because you move closer to home, you're playing for the Delta Ice Hawks, have a pretty good season it looks like statistically, anyways, as far as points per game go, and uh, and then that's it for you, and and you lose your your passion for the game as you mentioned. What happened in in Delta with the Ice Hawks? Uh, just a, in my twenty year old season, it's just a lot of a lot of turnover. We had three different head coaches throughout the season, so. It was kind of hard to, to gain any traction with any of the coaches. And then as, as the season went on, the, the, the newest coach kind of had his, kind of had his favorites, and he, actually, he brought in some affiliate players from his old midget team, and I was getting healthy scratch as a 20-year-old, which is not something you see a whole lot. So, yeah, I was just, I was just kind of sick of it at that point. I just needed some time away. Um, I don't really – even now, I don't really play beer league or anything. I'm kind of just strictly doing the media side of things, but – yeah, it was unfortunate the way that it ended, but can only can only control what what you can do, right? It's just a matter of you know. I would imagine you're you're just pouring so much energy in your life, having you know been playing in in junior B for three four years at that point, and I'm sure playing in lower levels for years before that. Is it just sort of uh, that sort of dissatisfaction of something that you've kind of poured a, a, an enormous amount of your adolescence into, just not necessarily turning out the way that you were hoping for? Yeah, exactly. Like, I obviously knew that that was basically the extent of where my hockey was going. So I was kind of hoping it would have ended up on a, a positive note. It was, it was basically my, my number one thing from the time I was, I don't know, about five years old. So, yeah, it was a bit tough having it end the way it did. But it's still a lot of those days I wouldn't trade for anything. So that's the majority of my friends I've, I've met through hockey or mutual friends from hockey. So I can't, I can't talk too bad about it.
Well, I'm glad it was just sort of a, a hockey burnout sort of deal and not anything yeah. actu- actually awful that uh, yeah. happened in junior because I know you know there's plenty of things that, that can go wrong on that front as well. Yeah, we've kind of heard it throughout the throughout the media these last couple of weeks. I was lucky enough to not experience nothing too crazy. Um, I've obviously heard some stories and whatnot, but yeah, for me personally, I never had to experience anything to the extent that we've been hearing about. But you're not alone in feeling that way. I interviewed Kyle Wellwood several years ago after he had retired, and he told me basically he was not even following the playoffs. He wasn't watching the NHL at all. He had dedicated, as you said, like right from five years old, his entire life was kind of laser-focused on hockey. And when you finally pull away from it, it's like, that's a lot of time to dedicate to something. And it's really easy to lose your love of it when it becomes a job. Because even when your job is something that you love, every job inevitably becomes a job in the end, right? And... I mean, even playing a game is, is, you know, no different, I don't think. Yeah, exactly. There's No matter how fun of a job you have, you're always going to have tough days where you're wondering why you're doing it. But, yeah, it's, I think when you're when you're done playing hockey, it's, it's a bit of a, I don't know how to explain it, kind of maybe a jealousy thing or a bit of a bitterness that it didn't quite end the way you wanted it to because obviously everybody pictures their hockey career being, being all positive, all sunshine and roses, but... For everybody, it's not like that. So, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting to hear about former NHL players um, kind of going through those same things because you realize it's not just the, like the lower levels that all that stuff's happening at. It's it's at the top of the hockey uh, pyramid as well. Yeah, and I'm just glad that you you got it back. What kind of drew you to wanting to get back involved in the game from the media side? Um, well, my dad and I we we had um, season tickets for the Giants, so I was going to a lot of those games, and it was. It's obviously really exciting hockey to watch, and I felt like I could, I could kind of bring more to the table than just sitting at a hockey game and watching it. I felt like I could, I could kind of express what's going on in a, in a kind of a, a player standpoint because I can kind of relate to the, to these guys at this age. So, um, yeah, I kind of just, I, I direct message our Dub Network guys, um, just wondering if they had any guys uh, covering the Giants, and luckily enough they didn't, and so they took me on about a year ago and. It's just been, it's been crazy. It's been, it's taken me to a lot of, I've met a lot of people I never thought I'd meet. I've done a lot of things I never thought I'd do. Like last year, they went all the way to the WHL final, of course. So I got to cover that right away almost. So yeah, I've been kind of spoiled so far with the media stuff. And is this kind of a stepping stone for you to wanting to cover the Canucks on a more regular basis? Or do you, do you really enjoy covering junior hockey? Because it feels like there's a bit of a lost art in covering um, you know, junior and, and high school sports in particular. Obviously, Howard Samura is a legend in the Vancouver scene here as far as what he does for uh, high school collegiate athletics. And it, it just feels like there is really no one coming up through the scene to take that crown at all. Everyone is so focused on the pro level, and in Vancouver that really just means the Canucks, and it feels like there's a another class, another world of journalism, basically, that is essentially being passed over as guys, uh, you know, look for the, the brightest spotlight on some level. Yeah, obviously you want to you wanna get to the highest level of whatever you do, but um, even growing up, we we always had season tickets to the BCHL, like the Sir Eagles and stuff, so Junior hockey has always kind of been, kind of been. Um, I've kind of followed that a lot more than like pr- the pro ranks and whatnot. It's, I, I'm not sure why. I'm just just how I've always been. So I've I've been having a blast covering the WHL. It's it's awesome seeing these kids kind of develop um, game by game because 
at this age they're so they're, uh, this is all their developmental ages right so you can kind of you can kind of see see a guy improve from from not being a good skater to just break out to be a superstar the next season there's a there's a lot of a lot of kind of skill turnover for lack of a better term i guess where these guys are they're changing so much so it's it's a lot of fun to watch but obviously um it'd be nice to catch on with uh with with one of these canuck sites or something like that because as of now i'm just kind of shooting for the stars and see where it takes me this this botcher project is, has helped me quite a bit and i'm very thankful for the whole opportunity well you mentioned Stephen, that you have season tickets to the giants game are you still sitting with your dad every game or have they moved you up to the press box yet uh no yeah i've been moved up to the press box um last last season about halfway through the season i got my credentials so my dad's been having to find other people to go with he's been going a lot with um with my grandpa his dad so it's been it's been working out for everybody oh good i was gonna say are you can you see him from the box just sitting lonely by himself no yeah I, would, I wouldn't abandon him like that i made sure <laughs> that there's gonna have people that there's gonna be people going to the games with him. i would have felt bad just making him go by himself all the time i probably wouldn't have taken the credentials if that was the case Oh, well, that's very sweet of you. I, yeah. And I, the, the Botchford Project really is all about mentorship and making sure that there are people in media to look after this kind of next generation. You know, a good good friend of mine spends an awful lot of time in that press box at Giants games as well, and I'm sure you've had some run-ins with him. Uh, has Steve Ewan kind of been a, a, a guiding figure for you as you've been covering this team? Yeah, that's kind of the guy I've been, I've been kind of learning from. He... We both go to basically all the Giants games. He he's kind of like he's kind of the head guy with all the Giants coverage and whatnot. So I'm just kind of trying to follow in his steps a bit, just seeing how he handles himself, what kind of questions he asks, and everything. So yeah, we have kind of I've built a nice relationship with him, and definitely somebody I look up to with all of this. Well, I'm glad to hear that because uh, he's he's a very sweet man, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that's another guy exactly like Howard Samura, who yeah. covers the the non Canucks, non Lions side of sports, and you know non Whitecaps as well here uh, in Vancouver. And it is a kind of a lost art on some level, as I was saying. There's not a lot of people who have the interest and and uh, and want to be on that beat. And I know Steve really loves it, so I hope he can pass on that passion to uh, the people who are coming up behind as well. Yeah, it, it, I don't think a lot of people realize how good of hockey like the WHL is because uh, I can't speak for obviously everybody, but I've seen like a lot of people are like they kind of Canucks or bust like the best the best hockey to watch or nothing. But the WHL, it's very affordable hockey. It's very exciting hockey. Like all these all these kids are fighting fighting to make it right. So no shortage of passion or fighting the game. So yeah. It's awesome. Well, let's talk about the Giants real quick before I let you go. Uh, we're talking in advance of their teddy bear toss game at Rogers Arena, so I'm sure it's nice for you to be back in that building again so soon. But they just swung a big trade uh, on Friday, making a significant change to their roster. Dylan Plouffe, who has been one of their uh, best players all year long, an overage defenseman and one of the top scoring defensemen, uh, I believe, in, in, in certainly their conference, is now... Uh, off to another team. They've brought in uh, some scoring and, and got a first-round pick as well. This is sort of a team in transition because, yeah, you mentioned they went to the WHL final last year, but things haven't necessarily been going that well for them this year, have they? Yeah, it's been kind of an underwhelming season. There's there's kind of sky-high expectations for these guys coming into the year because they did have a lot of their core that, that helped them all the way to the Game 7 of the finals last year, but it's just uh, just a bit of a lack of secondary scoring, a lack of depth so far. So this trade kind of helps with that a bit. Um, Svekovsky, one of the pieces going to Medicine Hat, he, he requested a trade out of here. So 
that kind of handcuffed Barclay Parnetta a bit. And um, Dylan Plouffe, he was a fifth-year giant. He's been here ever since he was 16 years old. Um, kind of, I was kind of surprised that they that they let him go, but they brought in some 20-year-old scoring, which is definitely something they need because they're they're getting shots on net. They're getting 30-plus shots a game. They just they're having a hard time putting the puck in the net. So it was, it was kind of a deal that had to be made. Um, the first-round pick, I I'm hoping they use that for something uh, as a trade chip this year to bring in some more some more scoring, some more depth. So we'll see how this. Oh, the season goes, but yeah, as of now, it's been a little underwhelming, but it's still it's still been exciting hockey to watch. Yeah, I mean, any team that has Bowen Byram and Justin Sordiff is going to be extremely entertaining on a night-in and night-out basis. Do you feel like those guys get their due in this market? I mean, you were just mentioning that a lot of people kind of overlook the WHL here in Vancouver, and I do agree with you, but like, you've got two guys, one who was a top-five pick last year, and one who is project, uh, projecting right now to be a top-20 pick this year, and I don't feel like enough Vancouver sports fans even know who Justin Sordiff is. Yeah, you kind of nailed it on the head there. Everybody knows who Bowen Byram is, especially with the draft being here last year. But yeah, Justin Sordiff, he doesn't quite get the recognition he deserves with this market. He's he's a great two-way player. He, he can put the puck in the net. He he can be physical. He can he's fought a couple of times. He, he's kind of he's kind of got the whole package this year. He, he struggled a bit on, on home ice, so that might be might be why he doesn't get a lot of um, love around here because the fans don't see it from him, but. He, he's he's almost at a point per game clip this year, and like you said, he's going to be a, likely a first round pick. So, um, yeah, the coverage the coverage here, I would I would like if it was a bit more it was, if it was a bit more prominent, but that's what I'm kind of trying to do is bring some more coverage to the league and to the team. You know, it's a deep draft class when a guy who was an incredible uh, power forward as a 16 year old in the WHL last season is like currently projected to go around 18, 19, 20 or so in the draft this year. But hey, you know, all of the buzz around Bowen Byram last year for Canucks fans was this is not a good team in Vancouver. They're going to miss the playoffs. They're going to be a lottery team. Bowen Byram could be the guy they take in the first round. I feel like that hype might start for sort of depending on how the next month or two goes here because there's a very real possibility when you look at the way that the Western Conference is all just bunched together teams being separated by you know as six points essentially is the difference between the bottom of the standings and the top of it pretty well save for the very very top and the very very bottom um, if the Canucks very narrowly miss and they do keep their first round pick Justin sort of is going to be a guy who's like right in that range where the Canucks might be drafting should they miss the playoffs? Yeah, exactly. Um, they're kind of a middle of the pack team right now, like Canucks, and that's kind of where Sorsen been projected. Uh, Jim Benning and his some of his staff were actually at the the Giants game on Friday night, uh, taking that in. Um, there's about I think there's about a hundred scouts or so at the game on Friday against Spokane. So um, I'm going to assume that they were probably taking a look at him, uh, seeing what else is going on. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a possibility. That's kind. I think that's kind of why Byram got so much talk with uh this market around here because he was a lottery pick and the canucks were a lottery team almost so that's i think that's why a lot of his coverage was, was made because a lot of people were expecting maybe the canucks would draft him so yeah it'd be great to see him because he's a homegrown kid he's also from surrey so 
um, yeah, it'll be great to see. Well, Stephen, I will uh, let you get back and, and get into your game prep here in advance of the Giants' Teddy Bear Toss game. Uh, enjoyed hearing you on the broadcast as well uh, on Sportsnet 650 on Friday night in conversation with Chris Wall during the intermission. Hope we can hear you there again and uh, hope we can hear you here on Locked On Canucks uh, down the line as well. Thanks for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. There he is, Stephen Hocko of the Dub Network. You can find his article, The Selly God, the second article in the Botchford Project, uh, second of ten, eight more to go this year, uh, on Canucks.com right now. It was published yesterday afternoon, uh, sometime around 3 o'clock or so. Uh, before we wrap up, I uh, do want to thank, of course, Stephen for taking the time to uh, be on the show once again. And, uh, of course, as always, do want to ask if you enjoyed this show and you want to support it, uh, share it on Twitter perhaps, or leave me a rating or a review wherever you find it, whether that is on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else. I will be back tomorrow with another guest to tee up Tuesday night's action against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Until then, I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette, and you've been locked in on Locked On Canucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.